and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. Am I welcoming you to or back to the Leadership Enigma? I don't know, but hopefully you'll find us on all your major podcast platforms and also, I keep saying this, on our wonderful YouTube channel as well. Now we know, don't we, that diversity of thought is incredible in relation to what we're able to accomplish together. It's something that we have to embrace. It's something that we have to have the courage in order to identify and bring in. How do we actually leverage that diversity of thought? What does that actually really mean for our organizations and for our leaders? So this is a topic I've been looking forward to chatting about. So again, you know how this works. Come back to me just after the break, where I'll be talking to the wonderful Sue Konda, who will help us answer a number of these questions. And Sue has got an amazing background, psychologist, business advisor, leadership expert. She'll tell you more about it. Come back to me just after this. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, powered by Transform Performance International, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. So, Sue, it's a big warm welcome to the Leadership Enigma. How are you? I'm very well, and it's a pleasure to be here, Adam. I'm so glad we were just, weren't we? We were both excited that we were together in the studio, and there's definitely something about that face-to-face proximity, isn't there? Absolutely. There's nothing that beats the real human connection. And I think that really ties into the (laughs) podcast, because it's all about the human connection and and human-centred leadership. Uh, Sue, I, I haven't done you any justice whatsoever in relation to an introduction, so tell the audience and the watchers a little bit about you and your background. No, absolutely. Um, I, I guess I've had a, a 30-year career, really, in what I call the people aspect of business and organisations. Yep. Um, I uh, Three years ago, I left as a, a partner in the Deloitte's human capital consulting business and had a role there for many years, working across many different sectors, advising on people, leadership, um, how to actually enable organisations to really engage their people in large um, change programmes, organisation design. I also advised um, uh, organisations on their HR talent uh, agenda. So really, it's always fascinated me how people think and how they behave. Um, I'm also um, an occupational psychologist for the British Psychological Society and um, and also a a leadership coach. Um, But now what I do is I focus on um, both coaching but also delivering leadership development programmes because I'm in the privileged position to do what I really, really enjoy and really am fulfilled by being able to make an impact and to support and help people in leadership roles. So we met a couple of weeks ago and it was obvious that you had uh, a real passion for people and you've just described that focus. What's fueling that? Where do you think that came from? Or when did you you realise that this was really what you wanted to do and, and what kind of gave you energy? Yeah, it started, Adam, when I was 17. I um, See, there's I, always a backstory, isn't there? Was, yes, that's right. I guess my backstory is actually um, in the sixth form, I worked in the local um, Grantham Library, um, right. actually reshelving books that were brought in. Um, 
in those days it wasn't at all computerized and i spotted books on psychology right i took them out and i guess then that's where it all started because I was just so captivated and fascinated by what I was reading. Um, and um, that led me to um, want to go and do psychology at university way before psychology became one of the most popular <laughs> degree It's courses. the thing to do now, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, many people are doing but it. it. And that, that's where it started. So, yeah, And actually, even to, you know, even this week, this day, I, I'd, I'd spend a lot of my hours, um, it's my hobby, really. It's not just my work, it's my hobby. I love reading if about... If your work is your hobby, that's bingo, hobby right? Now. Yeah, my work is my hobby now. I'm very, very fortunate to have found the thing that I just find um, inspiring, rewarding, and really, I guess, intellectually um, stimulating. See, what I also love to hear as well is after a, a successful 30-year career, you know, you were a partner in a, a huge professional services firm too, is that you're still incredibly enthusiastic and passionate about what you do. So to all the young leaders out there as well, find that passion, find that hobby. And if you can turn that into your work, then that, that really is the, the sweet spot, isn't it? Just give us an, a, a kind of an overview of the types of work that you find yourself doing now with clients. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to focus on quite a lot of um, programmes. One, one of my lockdown projects, actually, was pulling together yep. um, a lot of the material that I delivered over many, many years, looking at all the research. And I, I tend to do work in um, a number of areas that one of them is what I call the human leader program right as we all know um, leaders have really had to question the type of leader they are with the new expectations from people over yes. the last number of years and um, that's really about connecting engaging using emotional intelligence creating psychological safety a whole range of things well, that's that human-centered leadership piece isn't it absolutely okay. yeah it's about put it's about leaders really tapping in to the people at the end of the day business and performance is all about people it's the way people think, the way people behave, I always say, has yeah. that line of sight to business and performance. Um, and there's nothing else that could really get leaders' attention better than that. You can have a great strategy, can't you? But if you haven't got the right people, it's almost game over. So, and you, you talked about change as well. And forgive me, I, I'm going backwards. I do this a lot, so forgive me, Sue. Um, you talked about change. And I remember talking to a, a wonderful guest who I've had the chance to work with. Um, and... It's Tony O'Driscoll, who's a professor at, at Duke Fuqua. He talked about all changes is people-centric change. Have you found that if you're, if you're talking to people, talking to leaders about change, you've really got to hone in on the people mm. element of the change as opposed to just the process or the procedure of something? I can, yeah, completely agree, um, Adam, with that. Um, having spent um, you know, three decades almost looking at big change programs right. that focuses on the, the organisation design, the systems and the processes. Which is important. Very important <clears throat> as the backdrop, but equally as important and it never ceases to amaze me how difficult it is sometimes to um, uh, enable leadership teams to focus on what used to be called the, the soft issues, the, yes. the pink and fluffy part of the Not change. so pink and fluffy anymore, right? <laughs> no, no, that's right. It's, become, it's actually the hard part <coughs> to, to, uh, well, to do. <laughs> thank you for saying that because mm. remember that, you know, maybe you know, I grew up with the term people say soft skills. Mm -hmm. And I'd always, mm -hmm. I think in my early days, I thought soft skills. But aren't those the hardest skills of all, yeah. in some ways? Yeah, I, 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 completely so. And I've actually developed one of my programs is the people dimension of change. And right. it really looks into um, the leader's role in helping their people make sense, helping their people really understand in a change context, you know, what is it? 
what is in it for them? Um, what um, maybe old ways or mindsets might be getting in the way of enabling them to fully embrace right. a new way of working? Because all change at the end of the day requires changes in the way people think and changes in behaviour, whether it's using a new computer system or whether it's um, um, collaborating differently with across different teams. Yeah. Um, and then actually, ta- a lot of my work I use... Um, evidence and experience around um, behavioral science around the psychology um, and leaders that love data that can create quite a new awareness about the importance of how do they tap into um, creating change for their people and I one of the phrases that um, I always use that the leaders are in the business of in a way generating new habits but at scale right because change is all about doing things differently and, in fact, creating, shifting from the old world to the new world, and it's about habits. As the new world keeps changing itself as well, almost can't keep up. Uh, it, it's funny, I was chatting to one of my search colleagues and they were you know, kind of asking, what is it that you do, Adam? And that's a, a useful question to reflect on. And I actually said most of what I do is about mindsets and behaviours. Do you find as well that most of what you do is mindset and behaviour? You know, a- absolutely. And, in <coughs> fact, um, uh, in fact, going back to um, the, my psychology background, one of the core aspects to all of my work is the positive psychology and what I call the cognitive triad. Um, and it never ceases to amaze me how we don't use this more, both um, in businesses, which is the way we think affects the way we feel, which, of course, affects the way we behave. I mean, if I'm sitting here today and thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to do very well on this podcast, I'm going to feel anxious, it's going to affect the way the that result. I'm talking, and, and, of course, the way I, way I behave, and obviously the, the, vice, the opposite is, is equally true. Um, it never ceases to amaze me also why we don't um, do more in terms of educating around these mindset and behaviours at schools, that actually people are, f- are far more um, people and, and have far more influence on um, our mindset and behaviour than, than often we think we have. The kind of the focus of this is the chemistry of difference. How does one identify, embrace and leverage diversity? Before we do that, tell me why has this been a focus for you, the identification and and leveraging diversity? What's it all about? I guess for me, um, over the years, I frequently had the thought that are we sufficiently recognising the power of different ways of thinking and behaving and typically where they might be in an organization a sort of one preferred profile of person or indeed a prevailing culture that can be very very strong um, in certain businesses and certain industries I, I started to question that that was creating a disadvantage because there were too many people that were in a common likeness, if you like, rather than recognising that there were different styles that could be equally as good and indeed really complementary to the prevailing style or type of culture. So I've always questioned the one-size-fits-all right. leadership model. The cookie-cutter. The cookie-cutter, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> cookie-cutter. And um, I guess... Um, I also w- was on the receiving end of that throughout my career at various times right. um, and felt that um, 
that perhaps um, because I might have a different style to say my boss yeah. at, at, a, at a certain time, was I sufficiently being recognised for the diversity? Um, and there's there's so much data and research now um, about the fact that um, you know like recruits like we recruit people in our own image. Um, Is that a human behaviour thing that we tend to gravitate or find people who look and sound like us? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but is there something behind that behaviour? No, absolutely, Adam. I mean, it, it's, it goes back to who we are as, as, as humans and right. individuals and the whole bias. We, we develop uh, biases yep. uh, as a shortcut um, because when people are very different to us, um, as psychologists would say the amygdala it'll may kick in it may activate our fight or flight um and of course when people are different i always say that it actually causes what i call a trouble in interaction it's actually less comfortable to to work and operate with people who are different i mean we know when we're in a perhaps in a meeting and there's more challenge going on or people are actually challenging the way we might be thinking about something or our perspective yeah. it takes a lot more energy it takes more time and can even threaten our our, you know, our self-identity and how we think of ourselves so I think it's also more exciting in a way isn't it it's more <clears throat> exciting but more difficult and takes more time um but and of course, is more um, more beneficial to have that diversity. Take into account the the work that you've done over the years, uh, and I'm thinking myself as well. Do you think things have changed in relation to our understanding of the power of diversity of thought? So when we perhaps started our careers a number of years ago to today, you know, what what do you see has really changed in either understanding or application? I think there's been a massive change. In the right direction, still a long, long way work to, to go. Work to go, right? <laughs> work in progress, yeah. as as they say. Um, and I think there's been. I mean, we all know through um, a lot of the work that was done on um, unconscious bias training. Um, I think the problem there was that that used yeah, to. What do you think of all the unconscious bias training that? I think it, a it, it's of it for helpful a while, in a there? sense. Yeah, but the but it it often got people um, on the back foot. It sort of um, almost criticised people and made right. people not necessarily feel they could um, respond in the right way. And, and and I think the research actually now shows that um, that only goes so far and, in fact, can actually create a backlash if you're not careful okay. because people feel that their particular group or difference is not appreciated. Um, and I think um, that caused me to do a lot of the research that I have done because rather than the um, bias training... What I have done is really gone into exploring, well, what are some of the real differences about the way people think and the way people behave, the way we make decisions, our leadership styles, the way we communicate, with the aim of thinking if people had more awareness around that, then um, we would then be able to embrace people who are different and also, we would be in a position if we had a strong preference, if we wish to develop our repertoire into the style that might be different to us. Okay. When you, when you started to approach this, how did you take on the subject of, of categories? So male, female, or so, you know, gender, ethnicity, uh, other categories that we know full well within the workplace. Did you use those as a starting place or did you in some ways go up a level and think, hang on, I'm just going to look at, more of a behaviour level, from a tendency. I don't know. How, how did you approach that? 
it all started actually when I was um, designing and delivering some women in leadership programs. Right. So it started very much from looking at the research from universities, from businesses around gender differences right. um, and the, 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 the tendencies that um, men and women um, have and I have to be really careful here, of course, Adam, in terms of um, there are some patterns and tendencies, but that doesn't mean that all men or all women have those tendencies. In fact, many of us might have um, the, the traits of the opposite gender, but it's it started from both doing that more detailed research right. of the evidence um, that was out there. Plus, I had the privilege of um, having hundreds of conversations with men and women um, about what their experience, um, if you like, their lived experiences of right. some of the differences that they both observed and they experienced themselves. Tell me a little bit about you use two words, tendencies and traits. Help, help everyone understand what do, you, what do you mean by that and, and what was your focus? The tendencies um, are learned behaviours in right. a way um, and that, that we could have almost another podcast on this in terms of the men and women differences around nature versus nurture right okay um, but just to just to sort of give a quick snapshot around that um, there is a lot of research that talks to this been going on for decades and um, the work of people like Elise Elliott, Cordelia Fine that come to the conclusion that there isn't this pink brain, blue brain, there isn't really this difference in terms of the way that our brains work. Of course there is though differences in terms of the societal messages around the way that um, boys and girls are, are obviously subjected to and, and, and in, in, in the schooling and yeah. their, their parenting um, that can create emotional reactions that and uh, tendencies, learnt tendencies, that can then snowball into something much bigger and be there in the workplace years later when actually it may not be um, serving them well. I mean, just to give you a couple of examples, yeah. um, and this, a lot of the schools have picked up on this, you know, perfectionism, um, some... Um, uh, girls in, in West London had Little Miss Perfect week because girls can have a tendency for perfectionism. And right. of course, when that if that then um, goes into the workplace, it can cause a tendency to for women to be um, overworking in terms of and many very senior women that I talk to say they have to read almost every dotted I and cross T in their boardroom papers. And that stems from, from their background. Um, and that can, of course, mean that they may not want to um, delegate for fear of not it not being perfect there's a whole range yeah. of knock-on effects which vary of course it'll be very careful it varies of course for <clears throat> for each person and each uh, individual but some of those um, going back to your original question some of those tendencies can be learned from from our past and from um, society's messages and there's a whole range of different ones that's I'm, no, I, I love this. I'm fascinated by it. I had Nick Jankel who came into the studio and he talked about an organisation is complex, not complicated, complex because of the human organisms that make it up. And each and every one of us is unique. We bring our, our, our wisdom, our experiences, our education to work. And in some ways that, that makes up who we are and, mm -hmm. and how we show up. And it's that diversity isn't it it's that uniqueness of every single one of us that actually is very very exciting mm. uh, and you wrote a, a great article that focused on the chemistry of difference so tell us a little bit about that title in itself because that's the title mm. of this episode as well the chemistry of difference mm. what do you mean by that 
Well, I use the analogy of um, the way that chemicals, I'm not a chemist, am I? <laughs> but the way that <laughs> Neither am I. So I have no questions to ask. Chemical on. elements um, react differently when they come into, into contact with elements that are that are different. Yes. And I just thought that was quite a useful way of thinking about the way that people, when we come into contact with people who are different to us, we react differently. So, for example, if you, I remember, I had many experience of this in my leadership decision making. When you're, um, you've got someone who wants to make really quick decisions, really sharp, really quick, versus someone that wants to weigh up all the options, yes. the reaction between those two people is is different. So, I, I use that analogy um, to, to explore that actually we need to be aware when we're working leading, operating in an environment, working in business partnerships with people who are yep. different to us. So when you when you think about that from a, a leadership perspective, you, you have to have that awareness that we're all different and like chemicals, when together in different combinations, mm. you get different reactions. How does a leader even start to understand that and navigate it? The model I put together pulls out a whole range of different dimensions yep. where from the research that I've looked at, it shows up. So it can be around uh, mentioned decision making, the way we lead, the way we communicate, the way we rely on our expertise, etc. So um, I've created a whole set of categories. Which There's 10 components, I believe. Is that right? The difference, yeah. The, right. the, each of the letters, the D, the I, uh, the F, the F, stands no, I'm, for... I'm, I'm going to read element. these out so people have got them because <laughs> then they're going to be able to contact you. So it's it's difference. It spells out difference, doesn't it? So there's yes. decision-making, mm -hmm. uh, there's influence, followership, mm -hmm. fellowship, mm -hmm. uh, elevating relationships, engagement, negotiation, communication, and expertise. Absolutely. Have I got that right? Absolutely. Well done, Adam. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I have to do that justice. So those are the 10 components. Mm -hmm. and I'm going to ask people to, to get in touch and we'll tell mm -hmm. them how they can, they can read about this. And I've got uh, certainly one of your articles on this as well. Uh, let's, let's zone in on just some of those components mm -hmm. that you feel are the most relevant to people listening and watching. They're all relevant, I know, but mm -hmm. from a leadership standpoint, mm -hmm. where, where should we begin? Mm. Should we start with the, the followership, creating followership yeah. and, and, and leadership? Well, with, with no followers... One can't be a leader. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we, it's it's well known. There are different leadership styles around. Are you a leader who is directive, more autocratic in your style, right. maybe more task orientated, versus a leader who may be more um, collaborative, more um, engaging, more coaching style to take people along along the journey. Right. Um, and having awareness of those styles and recognizing that. There's um, there's no one right style for every situation, but if you're if you've got a preference or a tendency for one style, when is it that you as a leader really need to tap into the the opposite style to how you are and um, still be authentic? Absolutely, uh, and I think this I think that's a key point that you raise there, Adam. That this is all about being an authentic leader, um, but knowing the lay of the land and when people are different, and and if you choose to want to be aware of and sometimes tap into one that is not your preference, but you choose it, it still is the authentic you. Yeah. Um, I mean, McKinsey wrote a really interesting article a number of years back about um, collaboration, okay. the hidden tax on, on women's career, which is, is extremely powerful, which 
sort of talks to the point of, yes, collaboration and engaging leadership is really, really powerful, but it can also be helpful to know where are the occasions you might want to step in and assert a clear, strong view so that actually you're not um, taking away that gravitas from your leadership at right. particular points when it's when it's useful. Is this all really the the, the leadership paradox? In the and I sometimes show people a slide and it, and it's um, a sound deck with sliders on it. You know, not too dissimilar, I'm sure, to what James is playing around with now to make us uh, look, look and sound great. Um, but actually, a leader is forever manipulating the sliders in order to be appropriate in the circumstances they find themselves in. And also, if we think about what you're focusing on in the chemistry that they find themselves in between the, the, the complex human organisms. So I'm always saying to people, it's okay to be manipulating the sliders of your own style in order to be effective, but also staying authentic. Um, is that a fair kind of analogy in that we're, we're always trying to, in some ways, manage our, our response and our reaction, taking into account where we are? I, I do agree with that, Adam, in the sense that there's no one style of leadership and there's a lot of um, talk about the whole contingent contingent on the people that you're leading, yes. contingent on the um, environment that you're in. And I, I do think we're in a, a stage now with the uncertain, complex environment that we're in where we need to be more innovative, that we need to yeah. embrace the different styles. And, of course leaders being aware of this chemistry of difference, if you like, in their people, because also I think leaders are faced much more with increasing expectations from their people. People expect to be led in a certain way now. They expect to have this phrase that's used a lot around, feel psychologically safe to yes. be themselves. They um, expect to have clear um, motive the leaders to tap into their own personal motivations. So personalised um, leadership. That came up actually with mm. our, our young leaders. Every single person is looking for some form of personalised leadership. How does a leader do that? Um, I would say that the one-word answer on that yep. is to tap into emotional intelligence. Right, okay. And um, it never It's also becoming more important than IQ. It, yeah, I think they're equally important. <laughs> can, I, can I say <laughs> but, uh, that? I, we no, take I it for granted, the IQ. But. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think um, in many um, corporate structures, IQ was the leading IQ, wasn't it, for many, many years. And still is in many. It's important. It's important. Um, and, and it's not to be uh, under undervalued. However, yeah. um, I think in more recent years, many leaders have recognised the importance of emotional intelligence. And um, without that, the leaders can't be this human-centred leader that um, that is now required, both, as we said, because of the, what's going on externally in the environment, but also in terms of the people that people are leading. Yeah. And, and, of course, it's not... Um, it, it, it can be developed. Emotional intelligence is not something that you, you either have or you don't. And, of course, it's not... We're work in progress. Work in progress. All of us. I mean, it, can, a leader, can a leader... Forgive me for interrupting, Sue. I, I, I love this subject. Um, can a leader be a chameleon? And that might not be the best way of describing things, but also be authentic. And I'll tell you why I asked that question. Is I met some amazing senior leaders, uh, and they had all had international placements where they had had to go and work in a very, very different culture. Mm. 
and they spoke about the challenge for them to significantly adapt their approach and style and behavior in order to be appropriate but also find that level of authenticity so they will still be themselves and that's not easy that's a great question and this word authenticity has got so much debate around it um the way i always like to think of it yeah. is you can be authentic and change your behavior as long as you you have um a desire to want to change it in a certain way and i love the work of Hermania Ibarra from London Business School right. where she talks about we have to distinguish between our historical self and our future and present self and I this I've got a very personal story around this one Adam okay um, for years I was told that I needed um, to have more gravitas in the way that I spoke and um, I could have thought well that's not me uh, being more directive, being more assertive in the way that I spoke. But actually, I wanted to develop that gravitas because I knew that it would serve me well. So I spent quite a bit of time really thinking about, well, what is my style of the way that I communicate, the way I land myself in meetings? And actually, I did role model myself on some of the uh, leaders that I thought were really impressive. Okay. So I changed. So one could argue, was I being authentic? But actually, I think I, I absolutely was being authentic because I aspired to be able to um, come across and communicate in a different way. You were developing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I, I've spoken to some, you know, incredibly successful CEOs who, with great humility say that they are still developing. I remember talking to Gary Ridge, who, who just stood down, who was the CEO and chairman of WD40 for 26 years. Uh, and I said, Gary, what's next? And he actually said he described almost his tenure, 26-year tenure, as his apprenticeship in leadership. And I just thought, what a wonderful way of looking at yeah. things. So we're all developing. Yeah, no. and, and, and so that's why this is so powerful. So there are those 10 components that you've identified that, that I, I, I spoke about in, in this episode. So help us understand, anyone who's, who's listening and watching, kind of where do they start in relation to really trying to understand the chemistry of difference within their people, whether they're leading small, medium or large size, size businesses. Anyone listening to this thinking, I'd like to be more mindful, more deliberate about this. You know, I'm curious and... Uh, I, I want to know how I can do better or, or get the, the best out of people. Where should a leader start, do you think? The starting point, I think, is very much around recognising that there isn't a one good style um, and being really aware yeah. of the fact of how your style might be different to others. And by, by the way, Adam, one of the really important pieces of research, I think, is... When people are more like us, it's we tend to rate them more highly. Right. So there's a big point there around how it is very helpful to be aware of this the differences between people right. so that we're not putting in an unnecessary bias. So I think being aware and looking out for differences and then embracing them as they're different styles and although people might be different to us 
it's equally good, equally valuable. And in fact, one might one argues now with all the diversity research that we all see yes. that actually it's essential in terms of being more innovative, in terms of the complexity. It's a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. It? And a non-negotiable. What are some of the benefits that you're seeing from the conversations that you've had and the, the research that you've done for leaders who, who have and are embracing this? Because, as I say, there's, there's always a journey to this. What are some of the benefits that, that they're reporting back to you? Certainly for the leaders themselves, yes. it's enabling them to feel um, more comfortable in able to embrace the, the increasing demands on leaders. So they're able to update themselves in terms of their, their own style by being able to have what I call more quality conversations and quality connections right. with the people that they're leading. There's that personal leadership piece. Personal leadership. Okay. Um, and of course, for, for their people, it's enabling them to feel that they are valued, um, that what they bring that might be different to their colleagues or indeed to their to the leader to their own leader that they're recognized for what for what they bring the differences that they 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 bring okay um and i think at the end of the day as we all know um those teams that will be successful in the future are those that are the most diverse um, I, I love the phrase that if everybody's the same, then many people are superfluous. <laughs> this is very true, isn't it? I do love that as a phrase. Wow. Um, can I ask you a question? We didn't chat about this when, when we met a couple of weeks ago. Um, any thoughts in relation to neurodiversity now? Because it's, it's been mentioned a couple of times. Uh, I'm someone who is in that category, but some of the young leaders mentioned it as well, who also were in that category and actually said, well, hang on, what's, what's the, the role or focus on neurodiversity in yeah. diversity? A any thoughts on that? No, I, absolutely. I, I myself am I'm dyslexic. Welcome, um, to the, <laughs> welcome to the gang didn't, then. I uh, didn't realise that I was um, until many years into, into my career. Actually, it stemmed from my, my daughter was diagnosed with dyslexia and I researched, right. um, this little aside, I researched into it and I thought, oh my goodness, all of the... Uh, <laughs> reading around this and all the research was the th the things that I thought were you my recognized strengths. yourself <laughs> but I recognized it through the strengths the right. ability to make connections interpersonal skills um you know the big picture um Your and, superpowers and the superpowers yeah. and I I my view on the whole neurodiversity piece is that it's about recognizing people's strengths yeah and it goes back to what we were saying about there's not one size fits all and um a lot of businesses and organisations are now recognising that you don't have to be average at everything. You can bring, as you say, Adam, the superpower. Yep. And um, I'm very interested in um, what's happening in some of the more forward-thinking organisations around job crafting, whereby when they're looking at putting people into a role, they're not looking for a standard profile anymore, but they're crafting the role yes. around the individual strengths. And that is so helpful and useful. For certainly with people with neurodiversity, because they can really play to what, what is really strong in, in themselves. Is that the future with everything that we've been through and everything that we're still to go through? You know, we think about the pandemic, you know, war, um, cost of living crisis, Brexit, and anyone listening in any, you know, location in the world, there's just something and then there's something and then there's something. So it's the next normal all the time. So, you know, with that in mind, where is 
this chemistry of difference now sitting? Is it, has it gone right to the top of the priority list at the moment? I think it's nowhere near the top of the priority list. There's a lot of talk about diversity. There's a lot of talk about inclusion. Yes. Um, and we are... There's a lot of talk, obviously, about the demographic differences around gender, around race, uh, generational differences and all of that. Yes. I My view is that there still needs to be a lot more understanding around the differences around the way people think and the way people behave, irrespective of their demographics. Those tendencies, again, those of tendencies, individuals. Those tendencies, the, the chemistry of difference model, because that helps people really get it problem is you can't measure it right. like you can measure the demographics but with more increased understanding about as you as we started this conversation the sort of mindset thinking and behavioral right. differences um we'll be in a far better place but i think there's a much um urgent need to create more awareness um not just in leaders but in, in everybody about what those differences are and that actually we need to embrace all of them for the good of not only every individual, but also the good of businesses and society. I'm glad you said that. It's not just the responsibility of the leader. It can't just be one or a few people's responsibility, can it? It's something that's, that's got to be pervasive, part, part and parcel of a, of a DNA, and not just in organisations, you know, from a, a, a community, from a culture. Mm. Um, I think it's important all around. How do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about uh, the work that you're doing, uh, bring you into their conversations and their work? What's the best way? Um, my email address is suatconda.co, just C-O. Right. Um, well, that's uh, easy. <laughs> and um, also my website is conda.co. Um, and so I'm very happy to share the model, share any articles if people would be interested. Just to learn a little bit more about the detail we've just done some very headlines here today. Yeah, can I encourage people to do just that? Because, you know, you've really got into some of the research yourself, you, you know, and almost set a very strong provenance for then the conclusions and the insights that, that you bring. Uh, what's next for you? I know you're passionate about this, but what's next for you? I'm just going to con do, continue doing <laughs> do. what, uh, what I love doing and what I feel so strongly about, which is working with um, leaders um, in leadership development, in the coaching work that I do, yep. um, and um, just want to, at a stage in my life where I feel that I can hopefully share the experiences I've had from the 30 years of working with so many organisations yeah. um, and be able to make a difference to people. So here comes an unfair question. With all of that wisdom, Sue, um, What's the most powerful piece of leadership advice that you remember that you've ever given or received? Well, the one for me would be about be, be mindful of your inner game. Tell me more. Which, um, in fact, um, Tim Galway talks about whatever outer game you're playing, there's always an inner game in your mind. So thinking about how your emotions, we can't underestimate the power of our feelings and our emotional reactions, right. how we might be thinking about something and the need to reframe things that may be uh, incorrect. Thoughts are just thoughts. And often we tell ourselves thoughts that are A, inaccurate, and B, oh, the stories we tell ourselves. <laughs> the stories, exactly, and not at all helpful. And I think the second piece is very much around 
just try it out. I use this word all the time in the work that I do, experimentation. Yeah. Try it out. See whether it fits. See whether you feel that it fits with your authentic self. Um, create awareness of things that you could experiment with. Um, mm. And it will either work and you'll think this is fantastic and great and something I want to internalize yep. for my future authentic self. Or it won't work. And that's fine. At least we'll have tried. I have the courage to try in the first place. Yeah. Feel the fear and do it anyway. It's been my There we go. I love that. I love that piece of advice. Sue, thanks so much for taking the time to come into the studio uh, for the Leadership Enigma. Please, everyone, the chemistry of difference. uh, It's something we all need to start to look at. And I like that approach, just having a look and being curious in relation to the tendencies of all of us. Where's that coming from? What does it mean? And when, just like chemicals, when you put them together, what's the reaction we get? So thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me. Pleasure, Adam. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or visit the dedicated website, www.leadersenigma.com, powered by Transform Performance International, where you can access our exclusive learning, including books, videos, bonus content, assessments, and more. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.